let's stand and turn our light on. There's a call comes ringing on the restless waves. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. 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 The blessed gospel light. Let it shine. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine forevermore. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. Send the light, send the light, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown. First Peter 1.8 tells us, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though, you, though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with, inexpress, with inexpressible and glorious joy. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful we can come together this morning and we're blessed to be able to do so. Father, we should just have joy in our hearts over who you are and what you've done for us and who we are in you. Today we come to celebrate that together. Through the, through the name of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good, morning. good to see everybody today. We're glad that you've chosen to come together to worship with us this morning. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us this morning. And for those of you who are tuning in online, please do the same so that we know how things are going with you. At this time, the praise team is going to continue uh, leading us in worship this morning. So sing out to the Lord today, together today.
get this getting all liberal up here <laughs> I appreciate that don't they sound great they're doing such a good job I appreciate appreciate the work that they put in a lot of work on these songs and and it definitely shows well last week we started our series in Psalm on Psalm 23 and we talked about how David in the very beginning of this psalm he identifies the Lord as a shepherd 
And the theme of that message as we looked at Psalm 23 in verse 1 was really, when you boil it down, it's trust. Without trust, what do you have? You don't, you don't have much. I mean, look in our society today. We've, we're to the point we can't trust government anymore. <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of different areas that we lack trust, and so therefore we lack confidence. When you don't have trust, you don't have confidence. So the question is, who do you need to trust when there's need in your life? Who do you need to trust when there's plenty in your life? Who do you trust when things get rough, when you need guidance? At the end of verse 1, David made a statement. He said, I will lack nothing because the Lord was a shepherd. So what is he speaking of when he says, I will lack nothing? Well, today we're going to examine that issue that David kind of unpacks for us in verses 2 through 4. So the title of our message this morning is Provision. What does the great shepherd provide? Now, I found a very, very insightful article. By, matter of fact, I should have the security team up here while I read this for my own protection. <laughs> but um, in second service, because you know, some of you guys can think, hey, this is really good. In second service, I might actually have them up here. Anyway, this was a very insightful article, and I, I hope you ladies are listening. From May 13th, 1955, Good Housekeeping, it was entitled The Good Wife's Guide. Now, remember, we're talking about provision. The Good Wife's Guide featured tips on how to please their husbands when they came home from work. I'm, I'm, not, sure I, I'm not sure I can get through this. Here are some excerpts. I'm trying to be serious. Hold on. I'm also looking for weapons to come out, too. Have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal ready on time for his return. This way, this is a way of letting him know that you've always been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Y'all right? I don't see anybody taking notes. <laughs> Prepare yourself. Oh, gosh, I'm laughing so hard inside. My eyes are tearing. Um, take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he comes home. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. We're going to be buying some ribbons. <laughs> He, is, he has just been with a lot of work-weary people. I'll let you take that implication. Third, clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house just before your husband arrives. Over the years, cooler months, you should prepare a light fire for him to, to unwind by. <laughs> your husband will feel that he has reached a haven of rest and order, and it will be you and it will, be a lift, excuse me, it will be a lift to you too. After catering to his comfort, after all, catering to his comfort will provide you with immense personal satisfaction. Man, this is great. <laughs> Prepare the children. Take a few moments to wash the children's hands and faces if they are small. Comb their hair, and if necessary, change their clothes. They are little treasures, and he wants to see them play the part. <laughs> oh, gosh. Minimize all noise at the time of his arrival. Eliminate all noise from the washer, dryer, or the vacuum. Try to encourage your children to be quiet. <laughs> make, make the evening his. Never complain if he comes home late, goes out to dinner, or to other places of entertainment without you. 
instead try to understand his world of strain and the pressure of his very and his very real need to be at home and relax. Your goal to make sure your home is a place of peace, order, and tranquility, where your husband can renew himself in body and spirit. Wow. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't see. You know, he's pretty brave when Luella's not here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't shoot the messenger. Hey, it was 1955, you know. <laughs> anyway, the, you'll see how this ties in. Our, our big idea of the message this morning is this, that God sees your needs and provides for them at the right time and for the right purpose. So we're going to be in Psalm 23. I want to read verses, the whole thing together with you, but we're going to focus in on verses 2 through 4 this morning. So we're going to begin in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. <clears throat> he restores my soul. He leads me down the bright paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all, the, all my days, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. So when David says that I will lack nothing, the first thing he speaks of is this. The shepherd provides the necessities for one's life. Now let's revisit verse 2 for just a second. It says this. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. If I am in his care, if I am in his care, anxiety should disappear, theoretically. We struggle with that, don't we? When we were young people, when we were living in our parents' house, if you had a normal home, one of the things you probably didn't do is you didn't stress about being able to eat and things like that because you trusted that your family would take care of you. The provision afforded is summarized in the two verses when he says he will provide all of his necessities, and that is green pastures and quiet waters. The shepherd saw to it that the flock was provided for, that they had their subsistence, that they had their protection, and that they could rest. Sheep need a lot of help to survive each day. Sheep do not appear to be the brightest animals on the planet. <laughs> they have no real defense, and once you get one alone, you're going to have some good Greek food. <laughs> but one of the things about sheep that may be a little bit, uh, maybe we've made them a little dumber than they are because they have a flock mentality, and their failure to act independently makes people think, well, they're just dumb. But actually, I've read some things that talked about they've done studies with sheep, Somebody's got a lot of time on their hands. And they did find that there were some, some signs of intelligence within them. So they're not totally stupid, but they are very defenseless. And they're very herd mentality in what they do. Their only protection from predators is by get grouping together and making themselves look big. Um, and the shepherd is there to protect them. If a predator threatens the flock, it is not time for them to act independently. In other words, when a predator comes, the worst thing they could do is scatter they need to stay together. The sheep depend on, other, on the shepherd to provide these necessities, to provide that protection. Sheep will go into a field, and if you've watched some of the old shows uh, that talk about you know, the sheep farmer, the sheep ranchers and the cattle ranchers, the fights that they would have back in the Old West, it was because the, the, the sheep farmers, ranchers would bring their sheep in, and the sheep would just eat everything. 
with nonstop, and they would just basically make a field bald, and then it would eventually kill it all out. And so sheep, if you turn them loose like in our yard here and you put them in the yard, they would eat every blade of grass they could until it was all gone. And so the shepherd's job, if he was a good shepherd, was not to let that happen. They would just stay in that same place. Once they ate all of our grass, they would just sit there and bat each other trying to get more food. They wouldn't think, you know, maybe I need to go over to the neighbor's house over here and get some more. That just isn't in their mentality. The first part of verse 2 is often translated as the shepherd making or letting the sheep lie down in lush pastures. And in this passage, he does not make them do it. The NET translates this, I think it catches the flavor of the passage just a little bit better, where it says, he takes me to lush pastures. And a person that knows much about sheep know that they won't lay down when they're hungry. So if they are still starving to death, they won't get rest. And therefore, the scene that's given to us in this is a pasture where the sheep have eaten their fill, they lie down because they're no longer hungry, and they're able to rest with one another. When their belly's full, they're able to get that sleep that they need. And so until they get that, it's hard for them. The shepherd, the shepherd finds this lush place for them, this place to eat. He leads them to this place. He allows them to eat, which gives them rest. Wouldn't you like to have some rest in your life? I know some of you are running nonstop. Some of you have stuff that are just churning within you that you just can't get rid of. And the thing is, when you trust, and this is the key, when you trust the good shepherd, those things should start dissipating because you know that he will provide for you. See, the sheep aren't out in that field scared of anything. They're just saying, oh man, some good grass here. And they just eat away. And then when they eat their fill, they, they sleep. The shepherd doesn't force them to lie down, but he sets the scenario up so that they can. And just like God, God's not going to make you do anything, but I'll tell you what, he sets up the scenario so you can. And many of us won't take advantage of that. The second part of this tells us the shepherd leads them to refreshing waters. Now, any of you who've had, I'm not so much familiar with dogs because I have cats, but with cats, they love running water, and most wild animals would prefer running water because instinctively they seem to understand that they, if you go to a place where the water's not moving, there's a chance it's going to be stagnant. And I, I tried something with mine one time. At first, I just had bowls of water, and they would drink it, but I was always concerned that they wouldn't get enough water, so I bought them a fountain. Well, actually, uh, somebody gave me one, and then later on I bought fountains. And what I noticed is once the fountain went up, the bowl quit being used pretty much. So I just quit putting the bowl out. And these sheep, what they want is they want that running water. Now they don't want a, tor a torrent, you know, a flood coming through, but they want that steady running water because it keeps it fresh. And that's what they need. They need that fresh water. The shepherd doesn't just go to any pool of water. He doesn't take them to stagnant water or poisoned water, but he takes them to refreshing water. And see, God provides as he, see, as he sees fit not just based on our desires, but he gives us what we need. Our great shepherd takes care of the necessities of life. And this is critical in our understanding of how the shepherd works. Because in the psalm, God's goodness and his love is woven throughout. And what we have a tendency to do is when God doesn't give me what I want, we tend to think, well, he doesn't provide. But in the meantime, you have everything you need. He's taking care of those needs. The psalm makes it clear that God is the satisfaction of every kind of need. So that affirmation can, can only, that, 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 what am I trying to say? That affirmation of that comes from knowing him as your shepherd. Who, you, who do you depend on for your needs in life? 
Many people live life thinking that they do it all. They think that, well, <clears throat> it's all me. I, I, I don't need anybody. I'm the master of my own domain. I'm controlling everything. Sheep are, to, so, are totally dependent on the shepherd. And if you want to have peace in your life, that's the mentality we have to start having, that total dependence. The sheep didn't have to worry if they were going to eat or drink when the shepherd was there. They just needed to follow the shepherd, and then the eating and drinking resulted. The problem that we run into sometimes is we want those necessities, we want that lush pasture, and we want that, that refreshing water, but we don't want to follow the shepherd to get there. And then that brings stress into our life because we're trying to do it the way we want to do it, how we, we want to blaze our own trail. And then when we're starving and we're thirsty, we're afraid, well, where's God? Well, you know, God's over here. GPS says, tells, you, tells you to take a U-turn and go back and follow the path. <laughs> I love GPSs, by the way. It's so nice, especially when I was traveling around St. Louis. But the fact is that the shepherd, the sheep's job is to follow the shepherd. And when he does, when the sheep do that, they will have what they need. When we don't, we won't. As I said before, you know, I think one of the ways that we can relate to this is when we were children. See, when I was a kid, I didn't have to worry about if the camp, and I'm predicating this on a normal household, not one that was in extreme poverty or abusive. So for some people, you're going to have, may have a hard time relating to this. But I knew when I opened the cabinet, there's going to be food. When I opened the fridge, there's going to be food. I didn't go to that with a pit, with an empty feeling in my stomach, thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to eat. When I turned on the light switch outside of a burned out light bulb, I knew the light was going to come on. When I turned on the TV, I knew that baseball was going to be on. When I opened my closet and my drawers, I knew I was going to have clothing. When I opened my toy box, I knew I was going to have baseball equipment. I didn't have to worry about my life. I was talking to my youngest daughter. She had a plumbing incident at her house, and I said, how fun is it to adult? She said, I don't like it. And I said, well, see, living with us wasn't so bad at all, was it? Um, but see, you know when I started worrying about life? When I became probably close to a teen? Because what happened then is I started looking at what other people were being provided. I wanted Levi's something fierce, man. I was wearing Sears jeans. Oh, poor me. Oh, how horrible. But you know what? When you're a teen and you see everybody else doing this, see, I didn't start worrying about the provision until I started to get older and my innocence was basically leaving me. Because at one point, I was just happy to have clothes. Cool. And I was rough on them. Man, my mom would get so mad at me because I was really rough on jeans. Man, I'd tear them all the time. But it wasn't until I started looking at everybody else I started feeling cheated at times. And that's horrible because my parents provided for me wonderfully. And then when I turned 16 and I started working, then I started buying some of my own stuff. And it's like, ha ha. But even then, I didn't worry about the shoe brand. I didn't care what brand of shoes I wore. My parents took care of it. But it wasn't until I started looking at everybody else thinking, well, they're wearing these and I'm wearing... Now today, the chucks we used to wear, the kids are... It kills me, man. I used to pay like 15 bucks for a pair of these Converse sneakers. Their things are 100 bucks now. I wish I had bought a bunch of those when I was a kid. I could have made a good investment and been wealthy right now. But I didn't worry about it. I didn't care what brand they were as long as they fit. Until I started getting older, started looking at what everybody else had and feeling, wow, they've got that really nice brand there and I don't. And it really bothered me. I think sometimes when we get older, we can have a tendency 
to not be thankful for what we have and we grow jealous of others. But the bottom line is when the Lord is your shepherd, you appreciate and you're thankful for the provision he gives you. And he gives you what you need when you need. I can't tell you how many times even in church where I've been sweating something, thinking, okay, we're going to lose this person here, lose that person here, and then God provides. Or people move away, and, and, and I don't really think about the financial part of things, that God takes care of that. But it'd be easy to think, oh, wow, you know, we're losing this many people. It's going to hurt every. God provides. He's provided everywhere I've been. And hopefully, ever, you know, hope, he'll, continue, he'll continue to do that. But see, when we lose sight of him being our shepherd, we start sweating the little things. And we think, well, you know what? I, I, I don't think he really cares for me when he does. Let's go to verse 3. <clears throat> he restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. The other thing that David's referring to when he talks about lacking nothing is that the shepherd provides direction for one's life. Almost imperceptibly, verse 3 introduces a transition of thought. He restores my strength, may be taken to mean he restores my vitality. Uh, some, some versions say he restores my soul. And it's read in connection with the green pastures in verse 2. But, it, but here it's introducing a new verse and a new thought. See, elsewhere, the expression indicates a restoration of the soul that, re, that, re, that comes from walking the path of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 19.7 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect and preserves one life, one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom <clears throat> to the inexperienced. And so basically what he's saying in this context, that he restores my strength, that's the same thing that he's talking about in Psalm 19.7 where when we follow God's paths, we will be strong, we will be refreshed. The Lord is the guide of my life. He restores my soul, per se, if you will, by guiding me in the paths of righteousness. Because without following those paths, eventually I will perish. I will do something that will eventually hurt me very badly. When God provides those things, the pasture and the water, it also renews your strength. It restores you. And the verb here for restore is a word that means repentance or conversion, by the way. So some have suggested that this speaks of the, the refreshment that we have when we make the Lord of our, sh our shepherd, I should say. And I, and I can see where that works. But I also see the point where when we're following him to the green pasture, the lush pasture, and to the, to the refreshing water, where we're going to have a transformation of being worryful, of being stressed, of being depressed, to... Thank you. Thank you. It, it's the bringing back of this sheep. It's this renewal that we have when we follow God. Part of the restoration process that God gives us is direction for our life. The right paths he speaks of are, speaks of are the paths that lead one to pasture and to wells of water, the things you need to be strengthened. If you want to lose strength, stop eating and stop drinking. All those of us who've seen our loved ones just wither away, that's the thing they stop doing. My mother did that. She quit eating and she quit drinking. And then eventually the strength goes down and, you, and, and then life ends. And so when he refers to these right paths, he's saying, God will direct you on these paths that will get you to the lush pasture and get you to the refreshing water that you need so that you can have strength. This passage speaks of God's providential guidance David is confident that God will direct him in the paths that will benefit him. 
See, David trusts God, God enough to know that God will lead him down that path that will bless him and not destroy him. Think about any mistakes you've made in your life. Have they been because you've been following the Lord and his path? No. Now, following him sometimes will be rough because it's not easy, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the fact is, every, every misstep I've had in my life is because I have deviated from following him. I have not paid attention to him. We were watching that decorator show, that flipping show yesterday, and this one couple, this one lady and these two ladies, or no, these two guys, they were flipping, and they were all excited to have Tarek help them do this and do that. And every step of the way, no, 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 we're going to ignore you. And I kept telling her, it just frustrates me. I said, Robin, why'd they bring this dude in if they're not going to listen to him? And see, this is what we do in our life a lot of times. We have that ultimate guide, that shepherd, and God says, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. This will benefit Nah. And then when it falls apart and you try to sell the house and you don't make as much as you, want, you would have on it, you wonder why. See, it's about trust. It's about trust, just like we talked about last week. Who do you trust for direction in your life? See, when we're teens, our tendency is to trust our friends. Remember, as parents, you don't know anything. And I'm glad I wasn't that way with my parents. I'm glad I was the perfect child, never caused any trouble. But, uh, yeah, um, who do you trust? The mistakes we make are when we fall away from him. At the end of the verse, he says that he leads us down the right path. Why? For his reputation's sake. Now, at first, it's like, well, this seems kind of egotistical. But think about it. If you belong to God and you're one of God's children and he leads you to the path of destruction, how's that going to look for God? See, when you belong to him, he's going to lead you down the right paths. The Israelites, oh, God, let us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. You know, they were all whining about this, but they didn't understand how bad would that look for God to do that. So I give my life to Jesus and he says, okay, I'm going to lead you down a path that's going to just ruin your life. Well, he doesn't do that. In the context of this metaphor, when he speaks of this, the shepherd leads the sheep. If the, excuse me, if the shepherd led the sheep to their death, who else is going to hire the shepherd? You know, if you, you bring your resume out as a shepherd, yeah, the last herd I lost, you know, I took them to poison water. Oh, this herd I couldn't, you know, we wandered around, I couldn't find any place to eat. Oh, and this herd, you know, I, I walked them off a cliff because, you know, I, my vision's not like it used to be. Um, that shepherd's not going to have work. His reputation will be sullied. So if God takes you into his family and leads you down the path that's going to destroy your life, more importantly, your soul, that would look bad for God. When you follow God, it will never lead to your destruction. Let's look at verse 4. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. So when David talks about the fact that he will lack nothing, then here's the third area he speaks of. The shepherd provides his presence in one's life. The shepherd provides his presence in one's life. I think I told you the story one time when I was in elementary school. I would get chased because a group of guys would act like they were going to beat me up, okay? And nobody likes to get beat up. That all stopped at sixth grade. My grandpa got me a weight set when I was in fifth grade. It started working out. Nobody messed with me anymore except people who thought they were wanting to challenge somebody. But anyway, my friend who lived in the neighborhood, Danny Slot, Danny was older than I was by a few years, and Danny, when he would see me, sometimes he would walk home with me, and I had no fear. I'm like, bring him on, he'll take care of you, because I felt his presence. And when you know that God is your shepherd, 
His presence is in your life. When we go through the difficulties of life, yes, you're going to go through them, but God will be walking with you during those times. The way the NET translates this, the version I use, really catches the flavor because many times it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. This doesn't just talk about the end of your path, okay? This means more than that. This passage doesn't just refer to the worst case scenario when that, but it, really what it refers to is any time that danger lurks. In the shepherd metaphor, this, is a refer, this reference envisions the occasion when the shepherd might be required to lead his sheep through dangerous, forested territory where lions and other enemies of the sheep are lurking. Still, when they're going through that dangerous walk, through that ravine, the shepherd is with them. His presence reassures them so the sheep don't freak out. You know what the sheep do during that time? They don't really know the danger. They follow the shepherd. They follow the shepherd. They keep their eye on the shepherd. In a human application, the soul that trusts the Lord will most surely pass through the dark valleys. We live on this planet, in this world. We're going to go through them. Even sometimes death itself, which will, even sometimes all the time we're going to face that. But the thing is, when we're going through those difficult times in life, if God, we know God is present with us, we can get through it. We'll have no fear. Even until the end of the world, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when it tells us, Jesus came up and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he gives the commission, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's what we want to look at. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus, the great shepherd, said that, Hey, I've got a mission for you. It's going to be difficult, but I will be with you. Now, going back to our last point, some people say, Well, wait a minute. Didn't Paul die for, God, for Christ? Didn't Peter die for Christ? That's destruction. No, it's really not. It ended their life. But see, if this is the only life we have to live, you've got a right to complain. But it's not. They were ushered into eternal life. Paul was anxious to go. Not, he doesn't want to kill himself, but he no longer let fear of what could happen to him stop him from doing what he was called to do. Because when he was being stoned, when he was shipwrecked, when he had all these things, when he was being beaten... Who was with him? Jesus. Did he still go through those things? Yes, he did. How did he endure? Jesus was with him. How did he endure? He knew what was waiting for him. How did he endure? He trusted the promises that were made to him, and nothing stopped him. He didn't have his stomach churning over the stuff. When bad things happened, he just rolled with it. Man, I wish I could do that. But you know, the truth of the matter is I can if my trust is in the great shepherd. When the shepherd had to lead the flock in dangerous surroundings, they, did not, they didn't have to fear because of the fact that he was with them. The disciples, when Jesus departed, he knew they were going to go through tough times. They needed to know that no matter what they go through, he's with them. He was with them. The last part of this verse speaks of the rod and staff. The rod was a short oak, kind of a, a wooden oak club that was used for defense, the staff was a longer pole that was used for climbing, for leaning, and sometimes for kind of pulling the sheep. You know, one that would get a little bit straight, they just use it and kind of direct them, or they kind of tap them to get them back. They didn't beat them with it, but they would tap them to get them back in line, or sometimes you've seen some that kind of have a hook. They'd use that to kind of pull the sheep back into where it was supposed to be. And Eastern shepherds, by the way, still carry both of these things. God's all-around provision is both unwavering and without equal. 
In verse 4, it describes God's care of his sheep as a rod and a staff wielded by the shepherd. And these things were used to protect and to guide. And the shepherd carried this rod, of course, to club wild animals. He carried the staff to guide the ones, the ones that are in his flock. And these represent God's constant vigilance over us, vigilance over us, because he is constantly guiding us, trying to get us back into place. He's constantly protecting us from the things that the evil one would do to us and to our soul. Um, the staff of the shepherd was critical to the well-being of the sheep. And these things were another reassurance of the shepherd's presence. They were reminders that he was with them. So what did they have to do? They just needed to enjoy the blessings. The shepherd used these implements to, to assure the sheep of his presence. God uses his, his, basically his club and his staff to protect us and to guide us. And when you have that trust, it really takes away a lot of the anxieties of life. They're going to come because we're human, but I'm telling you, the deeper your trust is, and if you want an example, look at the disciples hiding and scared when Jesus was crucified to boldly proclaiming him in the streets of Jerusalem. They did not have a care one. They didn't have a suicide mission, but they didn't care what happened because they knew where they were going. We don't always appreciate God's timing, yet we proclaim his timing is perfect. David speaks of God's intentionality in leading beside fresh wa refreshing waters and to lush pastures, setting us on a path that will lead us to glorify God in his name because God knows what we need in life. He knows exactly what we need. The question is, do you trust him? And do you trust him enough to follow him? Do you trust him when times get tough to still rely on him? Do you trust him enough to know that he's not causing these things in your life? He's trying to help you get through them. Our application point is this this morning. It's God's intentions for us are good. We have to believe that. He's always watching out for us. He's always working for us to provide what we need. We have to be attentive to what he's doing in our lives. Whether we realize it or not, God is making sure that we rest when we need it, eat when we're hungry, and make the most out of life that he's given to us. He didn't just save us and leave us, but he's with us. This morning, we have a song of decision and if you have a decision to make for Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity to confess Jesus as your Lord, to put your faith in him, to repent to him of your, of your sins. It's between you and him. To, to meet him in the baptismal waters where you're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. You'll be a new creation. Your sins are wiped away. You receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, whom God looks down and sees that you belong to him when you have that. If that's what you need this morning, we'd love, to, we'd love to help you get there. This morning, if you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. We'd love to extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to you. And maybe this morning, maybe you're going through one of those tough times and you need some prayer. Or maybe you've got a great praise for the Lord. If you have anything that you'd like to pray about, come forward. Myself or one of our elders, Roger, would be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision together.
Good morning, everybody. Brothers and sisters, it's so refreshing. After listening to the inspiration that our brother Jeff gave us, I feel better. This morning I felt draggy when I first got up. But I think that uh, being among brothers and sisters is special. Today, as a subject matter for this communion meditation, the word that came to me was gratitude. 
gratitude. Well, I'm going to read you this definition that it talks about. It says that gratitude follows a period of thankfulness, gratefulness, and is a feeling of repentance for another one's kindness. Is it not the greatest gratitude that we all possess when we come to the Lord's table? Remembering the agony of suffering, the price that he chose to purchase our souls. Gratitude is special. I know we had Mother's Day, Father's Day. We even have birthdays and Christmas and many other occasions where we are given a nice gift. But think about it. You're to live on this earth for a short period, but a long period we have to come forth and live eternally. Do we want to do it in darkness and pain? Or do we want to be refreshed like the water that Jeff told you about, constantly and lovingly? Choice? Not very hard after the fact, but during the activity, it comes to us. So, let us think during this communion meditation about the gratitude that is duly owed to our Savior Christ Jesus. Let us go to prayer. Dearest brothers and sisters, we lift up and lift up our understanding of the price that Christ paid for our iniquities walking day by day and the refreshing and renewed of the soul when we come back with the clean, precious gift of gratitude. We pray this prayer in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin. We have announcements for this week. Um, we have uh, Jerry will have no youth activities this evening because he's going to camp again. Uh, we do not have an elder preacher soul care group meeting today. Uh, we'll start those up again in August. Um, Rogers group's meeting this evening at 6 o'clock. No teen study until July, but the adults will have our final study of this, uh, uh, this uh, Wednesday, and then we won't meet until August again. Uh, Operation Christmas Child's accepting donations of school supplies, and you can see some information about that. Uh, there's a, inf some information about Stitches of Love. Also, uh, June 29th, uh, it's marked the Day of the Christian Martyr. You'll see some information on that. And uh, we are getting ready to have our um, off-road adventure for the uh, Narrow Path Group, and it's coming up in July, so you'll see a sign-up sheet, and we'll get more information out about that. One other thing, uh, we've almost completely made our transition from Faith Life to Servant Keeper. So if you give periodically online, the, the new link is there, and it'll take you to uh, Servant Keeper. When you go there, it's going to ask you to sign in. If you sign in and it rejects your username and everything, hit sign up. And then it'll find your account and it'll link it to, the, to Servant Keeper. And for those of you who give reoccurring gifts, you'll get an email sometime this week with those specific instructions on how to do that. As a matter of fact, I might just send it out to everybody because some folks uh, may be giving reoccurring, or be, be giving uh, not reoccurring gifts, but they'll need to know the same information. So you'll get an email this week. And once you sign into your Servant Keeper account, you can see your giving anytime you want to give. As a matter of fact, even if you don't give online, those of you uh, that don't give online, you can go to that site and you can see your giving because uh, we, we put all of our uh, finances through Servant Keeper just like we did Faith Life. So you'll get an email sometime this week. I'll just send it out to the whole church with instructions. It's very simple. So be on the lookout for that. I think that's all the announcements that I have for today. Um, when you look at the back of your bulletin, we have a lot of prayer concerns. We had uh, a great time of fellowship at prime time. We have people we're praying for with health issues. We have troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins we continue to be in prayer for. We have the outreaches. Uh, we're praying for the local schools right now. Also, Boise Bible College and the, one of the missions that we support and the work that they do. And um, also, um, we just have a lot of things going on around us. So we ask that you take that part of your bulletin as well as the rest of it and take it home and be in prayer for people. So at this time, let's stand together and I'll have a moment of, we'll have a moment of silence so you can lift your hearts up to God. I'll close this in prayer and our praise team will lead, lead us with a closing song. Let's bow before God at this time. Father, we thank you that you're the great shepherd, that Jesus is our shepherd. And Father, I pray that as we live life this week, we live it with the assurance of that promise. Lord, help us to rely on you for all that we need and all that we have and all that we do. Help us depend on you for guidance and direction. Lord, help us to just enjoy being a part of your family. Father, I pray that as we're out in the world this week, that people see Jesus reflected through us in what we do, what we say, and how we live. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week.